of the great gifts that God has given us and being a part of the body of Christ, you know, last week we talked about the gift of church membership as, as God has brought us into the body of Christ and in particular into this body of believers. Uh, but today as we look at this message, we're going to understand the gift of the message. It does no good for us to, to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be the walking and talking uh, a picture and manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit in this, in this world if we have nothing to say. Christ would not send us forward without something to say and He has given us a very clear picture of what it is that we are to share and that is the good news. The, what the New Testament calls the gospel. That is Greek literally for good news. And we see in this passage of Scripture, we're going to read starting in verse 18 in chapter 1 and read down through the 5th verse of chapter 2 and, and understand this, that, that the Holy Spirit has led Paul to, to begin teaching this church that the important thing is that we preach and teach the message of Jesus Christ. To do that, we have to live a life that looks like we know Jesus. We have to live a life that is a representation of Christ's redemptive work in our lives. So as Paul gets into some of these really difficult things further along in this letter, it all comes back to this. The reason we need to live a life pleasing to the Lord is that so our message is heard by those that are lost and dying, so that those that are lost and dying might receive the gift of eternal life through salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Our whole purpose is to glorify, as we said last week, to lift up the cross and glorify Christ. And to do that, we have to know what we're talking about. And that's what we're going to get into. Stand with me, if you will, as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, down through the 5th verse of chapter 2. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not uh, to bring nothing to the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him... You are in Christ. Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. 
For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we thank you for that power. We thank you for the gift of the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of the clarity of your word. And we thank you above all at this moment for the blood through which we're redeemed. And Lord, help us to preach that message unswervingly in a lost world. Help us to stand firm in this word that you've given, that it may always come back to Christ and Him crucified. Lord, that we might have agreements and disagreements throughout our relationships and our workplaces and our families and our communities, but Lord, that we might stand firm on the gospel of Jesus. That He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by Him. And we thank You for that in His mighty name. Amen. couple of things about this message. God has gifted us with a message. So many people today do not know what their message is, so they don't know what to say. And so as we looked at Sunday school this morning, talked about uh, as children being tossed about by the waves and, and being blown about by every wind of teaching, we begin to understand that if we are not grounded in the Word of God, if we are not grounded in our message, then our message changes all throughout our lives. So it all comes back down to the simplicity of the gospel. And when I say simplicity, I don't mean ease. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go through what he went through. It wasn't easy for you to come to Christ, most of us. It was a turmoil of emotion and a difficult decision for many. But it is simple that there was a need for salvation Christ died to meet that need and He offers it to us without fault. Now understand the message here, what's going on as we see the contrast of this message in the world. Paul's right here says this message is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does that mean? It, it means just what it says. If you look at the world today and you hear people preaching the clarity of the gospel, you find people mocking that clear picture. If you preach Jesus and Him crucified, you find people who are going to try to shout down that preacher that is preaching Christ and Him crucified. And they're going to say, but preacher, what about this? And what if I want to do this? And what if I like this? Isn't Jesus going to love me anyway? Yes, He's going to love you, but He's not going to save you until you accept it. Bible says that God so loved, what? The world. He loves each and every one of us to the point He would die on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. But then He places it back in our hands. And the Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if I believe, that if I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, that I shall be saved. That I have to accept that gift of salvation before it is truly mine. But the world does not see that. The world sees it as foolishness. They say, how can you place faith in someone you can't see? Are you breathing? Take a deep breath. 
Could you see any of the air that just went into your lungs? <laughs> yeah, it's there. Well, yeah, well, science can get in microscopes and electronics. You don't see it. How many of you in this room this morning have used an electron microscope to analyze the compounds in the air? Let me put my hand down. Yet you believe when you breathe in, air fills your lungs. The oxygen is used in your body. Carbon dioxide comes back out so the plants can grow. And the hole can get eaten in the ozone layer and Al Gore can get rich. But uh, that's a whole other whole story. Anyway, some of you got that. All right. But we do not see. And the Bible says that Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who have not seen and what? Believe. So we understand that the world, and I understand, when I was lost, when I didn't know Jesus, it was hard for me to understand the simplicity of the message of the cross. Why would God send his only begotten son to die on a cross for me? That doesn't make any sense. Number one, I'm not worth dying for. Number two, I didn't understand it. How could it happen? Do you remember being there? You wanted to understand how could God do this? I want to tell you, once I got over the why and the how and I, the how and I understood the what, things got a whole lot clearer. And the what is that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. But this unseen and misunderstood message that we preach is foolishness to those who are perishing. What does it mean? Those who are perishing. Those who are trapped in sin. Bible separates people into two groups. There are those that are lost and those that are saved. There's nobody that's kind of saved. There's nobody that's kind of lost. Either you know Christ or you don't know Christ. The world does not like that. The world does not like clearly defined lines that say this is one way and this is another way. The world likes grace, don't they? They like to dabble a little in this and a little in that, but, you know, and, and, and it becomes uh, uh, just a socially acceptable thing or a socially rejected thing of whether you are, are claimed to be a Christian or not. But when we preach the message of salvation, when we preach the message of the cross, when we tell other people, not only do I love God, not only do I believe in God, but as Jesus said, I believe in Him also that He went to the cross and He died on my behalf, then people start kind of doing this. When the Bible thumping holy roller people, you know? I'm not a Bible thumper or a holy roller. I'm just a redeemed, forgiven sinner. That Christ saw fit to forgive me of all that I had done to send Him to the cross. But the world doesn't see that. It doesn't understand that. And one of the reasons they don't understand it is because it is unreachable by human means. Look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Look down at verse 23. But we preach Christ and Him crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. What is He saying there? That we don't preach signs and philosophies. Here's the thing. When in the church we get caught up with signs and philosophies, we have missed the point. There, there's a world of teaching out there that, you know, somebody's going to walk up to you and put a hand on your head and you're going to flop out on the ground and you're just going to walk beating whatever, all right? Now, I'm not here to beat up on those guys. The Lord will take care of that. All right? 
But there's also a world of teaching that is, that is very abstract in, in their thoughts about Christ and that Christ doesn't affect your life in any way. It's just something to study, something to know. You kind of need to know about Jesus and you kind of need to know those things because it's a cultural thing and a historical thing and a yada, yada, yada and so on and so forth. But here's what Paul says in this passage of Scripture. He said, I, I sought to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's not a sign. A lot of us, we may not say it out loud, but a lot of us go through our daily lives looking for a sign. A lot of us get up every morning and want to say, okay, Lord, if you're real, just show up, let me know what's going on. And yet our world goes on day in and day out, just as it always has. Because we're looking for the wrong thing. You want to find Christ, you look here. And you say, is he here? And if he's not, the Bible says all you have to do is ask. Jesus says, behold, I stand in the door. And if anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. What does that mean? It means that Christ is a gentleman. You know? Any of you ever watch these crime shows on TV Whatever, I don't even know what all they are, but all these police shows, and they show up at somebody's house and knock on the door, and what happens if they don't open the door? Boom! Baby, they're kicking that thing in, right? It's, it's down. Jesus don't do that. Jesus comes and he knocks on the door. He says, will you let me in? And if we don't open the door, he's not going to kick it down. But here's the thing, folks, to keep knocking. You didn't answer him today, he'll come back tomorrow. You didn't answer him then, he's going to come back the next day. I'm, I hope you've come to a place where you've opened that door. I hope you've come to a place in your life where you've invited Christ into your heart. And if you have, you know that you have. And no amount of preaching... One way or the other is going to convince you of anything differently. You know that you are walking with Jesus Christ. And that is the message. And what Paul is saying, he says this is a stumbling block to the Jews because they wanted a sign. And it, it, it was a, a, a problem with the Greeks, foolishness to the Greeks, because they were all about philosophies and ideas and abstracts. And Paul just simply says Christ is real, Christ has come, Christ has been crucified, and he's living within you. That is the gospel. It is unstoppable in its purpose. Look at verse 18 again. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, through the, the, since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Look at verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Understand what he's saying there, that God's purpose is that we might have his power and his wisdom in our life. And that if I have Christ in my life, nobody can stop that. That's a good place for an amen right there. If Christ is within you, nobody can stop that message. We talked about that a, a, a while back when we looked at uh, Gamaliel and he said, you know, if it's of God, you can't stop it. 
You go walk out on this railroad. No, don't do this. All right. But you could walk out on this railroad track. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. All right. You ain't Superman. But you could go out on that railroad track and you could do this all day long. And if that train comes and that engineer doesn't put that brake on, guess what? You're dead. You cannot stop it. That train is a good picture of the gospel. And I'm sorry, but you're a good picture of the devil in that situation. Can't you picture the devil in front of the railroad track? And that gospel trains are coming, baby. It's going to just... It's gone. Done. That's the message. The message cannot be stopped. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care what statutes are, are put into play. I don't care how many people stand up and tell you you cannot share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are saved, if you know that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, if you know that He has risen from the dead, that you might live in eternity with Him, it cannot be stopped. Amen. And we see that right here. He says this is the contrast of the message. See, the world's message varies from generation to generation, from culture to culture, from society to society, from community to community. Their message changes. We have a different culture here in Bogalusa than they have in San Francisco or in New York or in Chicago or in Orlando. We're, we're culturally diverse. And that culture in each group might push something different than the next group. But the gospel does not change. That's the contrast of the message. But look at those who are called to share the message. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many of many wise according to the flesh. This ought to make us feel real good reading this passage of Scripture. Look at this. Look closely at it. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. What's that tell us? That God knows our position. When God looked at the world and He chose to send Christ to die in our place, He died for the sin of the entire world. But He died for each and every one of us. Raise your hand just like that. That's who Jesus died for. He died for us individually. He died for the world, but He died for us individually. And when I look at this passage of Scripture right here, I see that it wasn't about who we are. Look at it. Not many wise, not many noble. It wasn't about what you could do or, or your position in life. It wasn't about the power you wield or the, uh, uh, the authority you have. It wasn't about the possessions that you have, have taken hold of in this life. It was just because God said, I want you. I want you. Stay-at-home mom, I want you to know me. Grocery store clerk, I want you to know me. Office worker, I want you to know me. Mechanic, I want you to know me. Teacher, I want you to know me. It wasn't about position. It was about each and every one that might come to Christ and call out to Him. He calls, here, listen to this, He calls out of compassion, not out of qualification. 
Because if it was up to us to be qualified to accept the gospel, we've missed the boat. Amen? There is not a person in this room, dare I say there's not a person on this earth that is deserving of the gospel message. But Christ gave it to us. He knows our position and he sees our potential. It's not about where we are. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we've done. It's about what we can do. It's about who we can be. It's about what we can be to the world if we allow this message to work through us. We are in contrast with the world. That's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, do your best, go your best. Now, we have to work hard for the gospel. We have to do what God has called us to do and put forth our best effort. But it is not about our effort. Think about scripture. Think about the stories in the Bible that you see. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Where did God call him? Where did God use him? He used him in a pit. He used him in the slave, in the, uh, as a slave in the house of Pharaoh's servant. He used him as a prisoner, forgotten about and left in that prison. And ultimately, he put him second in command in all of Egypt. Why? Because it was about what Joseph would be able to do. The world wouldn't do it that way. If you were going to pick out the second in command in all of Egypt, you wouldn't start at a pit outside of Canaan, uh, looking in the bottom of a pit for a kid that was left without a coat and thrown in there by his brothers, would you? But that's who God chose. If you were going to call somebody to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, you wouldn't find him out on a mountainside leading sheep up in the deserts of Midian, would you? That's where God found Moses. If you were going to call somebody to go out into the community and be a different kind of preacher than has ever been before, you wouldn't find a guy covered in camel hair wading out into the Jordan River eating locusts and wild honey, would you? That's who God called him, John the Baptist. See, a lot of times we want to be different for the sake of being different. But sometimes God calls us in our difference that we might reach some that are different than others. I know that's a lot of difference, but are you with me? Just nod if you understand what I'm saying. That there are people that you can talk to that I can't talk to. There are people that I can talk to that you can't talk to. And that's just the way it is. It's not nothing I made up. It's not anything that that anybody else made up. That's just culture. That's society. Now, I like to think in in my prideful heart, boy, I can sit down and talk to anybody about Jesus, but I can't because there are some people who just would not listen to me. Hope that's not y'all. Amen? No. But there are people that you can sit down with that I can't sit down with. There are people that I can sit down with that you can't sit down with. And that's what Paul said. He said, look at the potential. Look at what could happen. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world uh, uh, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing those that are that no flesh should glory in his presence and that's the thing that God sends his presence it's his wisdom his wisdom that is imparted to us if we claim to be wise it should only be through the wisdom of the word of God but it's also his righteousness 
Through the cross, Christ's righteousness is imparted to us. Get this. All right, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, you hear this. Only Jesus is qualified to forgive us. Only Jesus. And let me tell you why. I heard a guy on the radio the other day talking about this. In 1993, he went to the World Council of Religions. That is really a thing, all right? World Council of Religions. If I remember right, he said it was in Chicago. And, and that year, it, it was wherever it was. But they meet often, and they, what it is, it's a, a group that wants to kind of get every religion together. And uh, why can't we all just get along, sing Kumbaya? And the reason we can't get along is because these guys want to kill those guys anyway. That's a whole other story. But he went to this World Council of Religions, not as a participant, but as an observer. And he walked into this great lobby that they had where they had a hundred tables set up with a hundred different religions from around the world. And he went up to them one by one. He said, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And the only person who can forgive me is a sinless Savior. Does your religion offer a sinless Savior? And he went to the Hindus, and he went to the Muslims, and he went to the Baha'i, and he went to the, all these different religions, and one by one, they said, no, but we can offer you this. This is what our religion teaches. This is what our faith believes. But not a one out of those hundred religions could look at him and say, yes. A man without sin stepped out of eternity and died on your behalf that you might be forgiven. Only Jesus. When Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me, that's what he meant. Some people say, oh, he just meant the disciples that he was talking to. No. He meant now and forever. The only way to eternity, the only way to forgiveness, the only way into the kingdom of God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The book of Hebrews says that the blood of goats and, and sheep do a little bit, that's okay, but the, the blood of the sinless, spotless lamb washes away all our sins. Only Christ can forgive. It is only through his righteousness that we are made whole. He says here again down in, in verse uh, uh, 29, I'm sorry, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What does that mean? That we are not to steal the glory of God, that it is by his presence that we are to reflect his glory, that we are to tell others, that we are to share in that, that others may come to know him, and it is by his redemption. All the things we need to answer his call, look at verse 30, but him and Christ Jesus became wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All that you need to answer the call of Christ, you already have. All that you need to answer that call, you already have. You don't have to wait till you get your act cleaned up. You don't have to wait till you get this straight or that straight. You come to the cross of Christ seeking redemption and forgiveness with a repentant heart and say, Lord, I need you. I need your redemption. I need your forgiveness. 
and you are truly repentant and you're willing to lay down everything in your life and accept that gift of salvation, the Bible says that he will in no wise turn you away. If I could see your life and you could see mine and all the wrongs that we have committed and we were to stand before each other and say, are there any reasons why Jesus should not love me? My list would be so long. And I trust that yours would too. But Christ came to redeem. We are called to share that message. One last thing, real quick. We see the contrast of the message to the message of the world. We see those of us that are called, each and every believer has been called to share the message of the gospel. Note, though we're without wisdom, though we're without strength, though we're without any reason or ability to do it on our own, God has called us to do that. But we've got to make the commitment. Look down in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I, brethren, this is Paul again speaking, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring the testimony of God. Verse 3, it says, I was in, with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. What is he saying there? That if I'm going to commit to the message of the gospel, I've got to know that I am weak. Say that, I am weak. The Bible tells us that we in our weakness display the strength of Almighty God. When I think of the Apostle Paul, man, I think of somebody who took the world by storm. You know, Paul was really, from what we know from Scripture and, and some of the histories, a little short, bald guy with bad eyesight. But when I read his writings, I'm like, that's Paul, he is, he's the man, right? But Paul says here, I came to you and I couldn't talk well and I didn't know a whole lot and I was scared to death. But I was determined to know one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, once we know our weakness, we can truly know God's strength. There's not a one of us in this room that has the ability to save a single soul. I, had an uncle passed away some years ago that uh, great uncle that he, he used to tell this story he said he ran into old preacher one day he said preacher how many people are you saving I said, man I'm saving them left and right he said you ain't saving nobody and so then he ran into him later and he said how many preacher you say I ain't saving nobody the Lord's doing a good work alright turn that around real quick see because we can't do it if you count on me, what's it say that last verse there that we read, that we depend on the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of men? If you count on me or your Sunday school teacher, one of your deacons or a teacher somewhere else on TV or something, if you're counting on any of them to get you in heaven, you're in sad shape. But all of us need to know Christ and Him crucified. So my question to you today is this, as we continue in this study and understand our place, God has given us this great gift of that message. 
Number one, have you accepted that message? Do you know today, without a doubt, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And it doesn't matter if you can tell me that. When you stand before God, can you tell Him that? Secondly, if you do know, are you sharing that message? As you've heard me say this many times in this church, that if you are truly saved, I ain't got to tell you to tell nobody. You're going to tell somebody. I've got the cure for death, hell, and the grave. Why would I keep that to myself? What are you doing with the message? 